Is it just me? I feel like we've got liberals going crazy all over the place just because we have a life group. <clears throat> so um, I was, the ladies retreat is, right now the ladies will be coming back this afternoon. So I was up there Friday and Saturday um, because of part of the worship team, not a lady, but I was part of the worship team and got to be a part of that. It was, it's a lot of fun. There's just something about um, hundreds of women just worshiping that is, it's the same way, you know, when it's just all guys, there's a different dynamic. When it's all girls, a different dynamic. There's something really just a blessing about that. And also, I think the same thing happens with, with uh, men and women. It happens with um, the teenagers and, and kids. The reason we want them to go to camps and things is because you kind of get away from your world. And when you get away from your world a little bit, I, I think potentially you're, you're, um, it's easier to God, for God to speak to. You're a little more open, all those kind of things. Uh, it's just, it was just really very encouraging to see. And we, there's quite a few ladies from our church, I think, from the section that all of our ladies sat, most of them sat in the same section. There's about 30-something ladies from here uh, that went. And, um, of course, my wife's in charge of all that. She's the one who sets up the retreat, so I also go to support her. But it's just, it was just a good time. They're, they're really, they're really the, the speaker's been good. Just the, everything together has just been very powerful. So, um, so I, yes, I am starting a marriage series next week. I didn't start it this week because the women are gone. And I knew there would still be enough women in here to tell the others if I had had a specific non-woman marriage sermon. So, so that's going to start. This is going to be four weeks. Usually I do an eight-week series. I usually try to do this once a year, but um, I haven't over the last couple of years. And so... Uh, I'm going to start that this next week. And, and you say, well, I'm not married. Does it, do I need to be here? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you stuff you've never seen about yourself, male, female, that you've never seen about relationships. Uh, some things, even just, even just some stuff that I've been studying over the last couple months, just really powerful stuff that God shows us in his word that, that um, I've never really heard this stuff. And so, I don't know. Um, if you think your spouse needs to hear some good marriage preaching, bring them. <clears throat> Some things that have been going on this last couple of weeks, I've been talking about the fact that Russia is, um, Russia's uh, been threatening, Putin has been threatening nuclear war, and I don't necessarily think it's just saber-rattling. Okay, that Putin's crazy first to begin with, but he also has cancer and he is dying, and when, you, when you've got that kind of I don't care anymore desperation, along with being crazy and along with nuclear arsenal, it's, it's a scary combination. And this uh, last week, I've, I saw a couple different reports about how Russia has been buying a massive amounts of iodine. Um, I said a little bit about how I think that the iodine works when it comes to... It has to do with nuclear fallout, and it protects, and it's a protective agent somehow against nuclear fallout, and I explained that uh, some in first service, and Barry, who's a doctor in first service, told me that I wasn't right about any of that. And so, so here's what I'm going to say. I know it has to do with nuclear stuff, and it's iodine. So there you go. There's my deep insight. And uh, Russia's been buying massive amounts of this. Another thing 
that I, I know you guys have seen this. I just had to say this. This stuff just completely irritates me. But it also is kind of a gloves-off mentality, I think, that is happening. Um, so, you know, uh, Dr. Fauci is retiring <laughs> right around the time of elections. He's retiring, and he has also made it clear that he's retiring to a foreign country. And I'm assuming this is going to be a non-extradition country. That's just my guess. But here's the thing with this is uh, Dr. Fauci got, over the last few weeks, before he is leaving, on his way out, he got funding for, in cooperation with the National Institute of Health, he got funding for the millions and millions of dollars for the Wuhan lab to continue working on uh, viruses. Now, here's the crazy thing. It's like... It's like now they're just thumbing their nose at the American people saying, we don't care what you think. We don't even care if you know this now. It's all out in the air, so yeah, this is what we're doing. And oh, by the way, Dr. Fauci became a multi-multi-millionaire by doing this stuff when his salary is 400000 plus a year. Multi-multi-millionaire. Okay. Another little thing um, that I think... I think a common sense thinking people have known this was going to be the result, but, but our country is just not common sense right now. But there's a, a new study that, was, that came out this week, so it, it propelled me to go look at some other uh, similar studies, and there's actually quite a bit of stuff being done about this, but I, only, I didn't know it until I saw this first study, but um, that we're having a, a sharp increase in uh, psychosis in America and specifically in certain states, the state of Colorado being one of the highest, where uh, psychosis is going way up, and it is being directly linked to marijuana. People are saying, oh, it's not that big, big of a deal. In fact, I got, I got attacked recently on a political uh, platform because I mentioned the fact that um, I'm, being, I'm being endorsed by a group called Young Americans for Liberty, which is a libertarian group. And so if you, if you don't know what libertarian uh, political mindset is, basically just no rules about anything. Let everybody be free to do what they want to do, which sounds good in theory, but it doesn't actually work, okay? Because there needs to be laws. There needs to be rule of law and all this kind of stuff. And I mentioned that I will never, ever, ever cave on my stance against marijuana, that I think it is a bad, bad idea. Now, I understand that there are some benefits to CBD and stuff like that, but I, I'm, I'm talking about we're just going to sit around and smoke pot. I, I don't. I think it is extremely dangerous, a lot more dangerous. And so I got attacked on this on this uh, platform that said this this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course, they called me a bunch of names, but um, he thinks that marijuana is a gateway drug and, it, and it's already been proven it's not, and all this stuff. Guys, that is stupidity and that's a lie. Marijuana is, by the way, also very addictive, which they say it's not. It is a gateway drug, which they say it's not. And it's a lot more dangerous than what we are saying it is. And now, specifically in Colorado, they're coming up with all new strains of marijuana that are way more uh, potent than the weed that used to grow in the woods 30 years ago. And this stuff is, is directly linked to psychosis. It's causing mental health issues and a lot of people, and, and, and specifically areas where marijuana has been made legal or they're not um, taking legal stances against it. And I'm sure that's coincidence. So, um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about temptation this morning. 
And I think it's, um, it's so we're going to look at how does temptation happen, and then uh, what do we do about this? But but I want to start with Jesus being tempted, and I think it's very important that we start with a a, a, a belief uh, idea or belief foundation before we jump into this, because there's a lot of groups within the church world and church thinking. In fact, uh, once when I was pastoring my last church, and once since I've been pastoring this church, that I said this statement that that people left the church over this. So I'll say it again. Um, but but two, different, two different families have one then, one here, because I said this. Jesus was completely human, completely God, but completely human. And when it says that Jesus was tempted to sin, he was really, literally tempted to sin. And there is this, and I know it comes from kind of a Catholic thinking, um, that, that Jesus, uh, there's a difference between saying Jesus didn't sin and Jesus couldn't sin. Okay? Jesus could sin, but he didn't. That, that's the key. Now, why is it important for us to say, well, Jesus could sin? Because he was 100% human, and he said, Jesus himself said, that we could follow his example. And Paul said that we could follow his example, talking specifically about sin, that we could follow his example, and Jesus never sinned. Well, if he never sinned because he was God, then you, you'll never have the ability to follow that example. Because you're not God, you're never going to be God. And so your ability to not sin, and I do believe that you have the ability, you have the choice to sin or not. In fact, I think sometimes we overuse the, the statement, which is actually from a, a thought process, a mentality. We overuse this in the church thinking that, well, you're, you're, uh, you're always going to sin. You're a sinner, so you're always going to sin. Well, I don't, I don't disagree with that because none of us are perfect and we're never, ever going to be um, completely sin-free and perfect. But I do believe this. I think we can use it as an excuse oftentimes to sin. Instead of saying, well, I don't have to. I don't have to sin. The idea that I sin every day, I don't, I don't buy into that mentality. Now, now, there's a lot of ways to process what that looks like in, in sinning and not sinning and stuff like that. But, but the idea that I'm just going to, I haven't sinned yet today and I've got to get my quota in. So, what, you know, what sin is available for me right now? I, I don't understand why the church so easily. I understand some of it is because... Yes, we are fallible and, and all that, but I also think that it's, a, it's kind of a, a cop-out. It's kind of a back door that says that we can sin. Why? Because we're sinners, and Jesus will forgive me. Well, Jesus did not sin, but the reason he did not sin is because he was empowered by the Holy Spirit as a human being to not sin, and he chose do not sin. Now, this is important. He was still tempted. And this is where Satan will kind of mess with us sometimes, is we kind of either consciously or subconsciously think that the actual temptation is the sin. Okay? And, and it's not. Jesus was tempted, but he didn't sin. And, and sometimes I think we, we think that because the, the drive or the, um, the power of that temptation seems so strong that we almost seem powerless against it. 
And so we can, we can kind of equate that with, and then we feel bad because we know that this is so powerful to us, and then we can equate that, if we're not careful, we can equate that with um, the actual temptation was the sin, and it's not. Um, we have to make a conscious decision uh, to go down a road that, that is a sin road. And so we're going to break this down a little bit, and we're going to start with Jesus. So there's, there's three temptations that Jesus dealt with in the wilderness. I'm going to deal with one. In fact, I have two other messages for the other two that I'm going to scatter over time a little bit and uh, probably do one after the marriage series because I'm sure we'll need it by then. But this is the first one, and, and um, very, some very important stuff just even in the first um, sentence here. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. The idea that, now, now Scripture is very clear, God doesn't tempt us, Satan tempts us, okay? But the Holy Spirit, God allowed Jesus to be tempted in this particular way and frame and thought because nothing, Satan can't ever do anything to us that God is not um, allowing to happen. And you say, well, then why would God allow Satan to tempt me? Well, there's a couple of things that happen here. One is sometimes God doesn't want it to happen, but we put ourselves in a place outside of God where he's not going to be in charge of that, and we give access to Satan to tempt us, okay? Or just for sin. That's one thing. One is the, that we are serving God, but God is trying to grow us and develop us and mature us. This life is boot camp for eternity. We are getting developed now. God needs to see what you're made of. I'm going to show you this in Scripture. He needs to see you develop. He needs to help you grow. And sometimes standing strong in the temptation is the maturity. That is the growth. It's not I am grown and mature, which is why I say no to sin. It is I am growing in the process of saying no to sin. I am, I, God is, is I, am, I am stepping up in faith to serve him and to be obedient to him. And so the, the idea that the Holy Spirit would allow us to be tempted, or the way it says is that actually, he actually empowered Jesus and walked with Jesus into the wilderness, and Jesus was going to be tempted. Um, the Holy Spirit has confidence in you. you. You can say no to sin. Holy Spirit has a lot more confidence in you than you have in you. And he, and he knows that you can do this, and he's given you what it takes. He will give you the information. that This is why God, the Bible says that when we take God's word and we lock it into our heart, not cognitive memorization, but actually life uh, absorption, that this becomes part of us, then this is what keeps us from sinning. Because when there comes a specific time when we're being tempted and all this, that we, God's word reminds us of something that, that shows us that, sin, that this sin or this whatever is not what God wants for us. Okay, so Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. Jesus was tempted. Because this is very important. If you struggle with the idea that Jesus could have sinned, it really messes with a lot of understanding of what the cross was about, what forgiveness is about, what the incarnation is about. You have to know Jesus was 100% human. He was also 100% God, in equality with God the Father. Okay? This is, by the way, a little caveat, this is where we disagree with Mormonism. Mormonism believes that God created Jesus and Jesus was God, but not in equality with God the Father or same as God the Father. We believe Jesus was God in the exact same way that God the Father is God. Okay, And that didn't change when he 
took on human flesh. He voluntarily allowed the, or, or gave up the deity side of that, the operating as God. He was still God, but he didn't operate as God. And, and that's when Scripture says that when Jesus takes his blood after the cross, resurrection, um, takes his blood, puts it on the mercy seat, and that's where he takes back that deity or that uh, God operating as God or, or being God. Um, but he was still God, still human, and as a human, it says that he was tempted in everything that you are tempted in. Now, this is important for us. If we don't get that first, it really messes up how we understand um, us being tempted, us saying no to sin, us uh, walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. We, you've got to know that Jesus was tempted just like you were tempted. So, so if you're tempted in, a, in, a, in a, an idea of of adultery or something like that. Obviously, Jesus wasn't married, but you understand. Fornication. Jesus would have been tempted the exact same way or in the exact same concept. The difference is it didn't get into his heart, and he didn't give in, and he didn't sin. That's the difference, which is good for me to know that because when I'm tempted that way, I can say, Jesus went through this. I can also make it. How did Jesus go through it? And then I can also go through it the same way. Okay? So, with that, verse 2, For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. I do like the fact that it said he became very hungry because um, I think sometimes we, we have a lot of different ideas of what potentially fasting could be. And I see this, and these aren't bad, by the way. I'm not, I'm not picking on these. But um, we, we see this a lot nowadays. Well, I'm fasting from Facebook. I think that's a great idea. You should fast from Facebook, like, forever. But the, 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 that, that, I do believe that's a fasting mentality. But, but Scripture talks about a, what's called a true fast in Scripture, and it, and it usually includes two things. One thing for sure is it's going to include not eating. But oftentimes we see where um, this is, the, the, when Scripture says this is what a real fast is, this is what a true fast is, it also includes witnessing and ministering to other people. Usually that gets left out. People don't realize that's part of the conversation usually. But a, but a fast is like when Daniel fasted for 21 days. That was he went without food. Okay? And, um, and he describes that. That's why, that's why people around here do a Daniel fast because there's certain kind of foods that he didn't for a while and then certain drinks and he didn't. And, uh, and he did this for an extended period of time and then without food at all. And so... For 40 days, 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Now, that's important because in verse 3 it says, During that time, the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God. There's two attacks, two temptations in this, in what Satan says. The first one is, if you are the Son of God. Now, we know that Jesus didn't start out his life knowing he was the Son of God and that he was the lamb that was going to be slain. He did not know that growing up because it says in Scripture that he grew in the knowledge and wisdom of the Lord, that he did not know all of this stuff. He didn't, you know, how they see him laying in the manger and he's got the glowing disc around. It's that, that, no, he didn't. You know, and then the song, I know I pick on this every Christmas, but then the song that says that no crying did he make, no, that is not true. He was a real human baby. He cried. That's, that, that we come up with this stuff, but, and it's not from Scripture. Jesus was real human, and all the things that humans do, he did, but he didn't sin. And so we, we see where we know that he grew in this. Now, by the time this happens, I believe that he is really understanding on a pretty core level that he is 
um, the, the Lamb of God, the Son of God. We even see where right, right before this, when his mom is at, with him at the, um, at the uh, wedding, and she says, hey, do something, do something really big here, right? I don't even think she knew for sure what he, what he was going to do. She just really wanted him to do it. That's a mom, right? Mom's like, you don't know my boy. He's, he's pretty powerful. And that's why Jesus, he rebuked her, and he said, you're not getting it. My time, my time hasn't come yet. I did. But then he did it anyway. Which, by the way, that particular scripture is the Catholic basis for Mariology, in case you're wondering. Why people pray to Mary. Because Jesus didn't want to, but his mom talked him into it. That's the, that's the theological mindset for people to pray to Mary. Is Jesus doesn't want to do anything for you. He doesn't want to be nice to you. He doesn't want to help you. But if you go through his mom, she can get him to do it. That is the theological concept of Mariology, by the way. So, so he says, if you're the son of God. So he's first he's attacking Jesus on the idea that, did God really say you're the son of God? Or is this just some kind of thing you've created in your own head. You know, you know Jesus had to deal with that sometime. We see him specifically deal with it in the garden where he's really at the end of this thing and he's saying, okay, God, um, th th this thing has got to go right. If this is not me or if this cup, I'm not supposed to carry this cup or even if I don't have to carry this cup, which means he's struggling through all of this stuff. And then what does he do? He ends up drinking the cup, right, uh, of, of sacrifice, not like a real cup, but that, that's the whole thing that's going on there is that we see where there is a potential, and I don't know how deep it was, but there's a potential when Jesus says, if you're really the son of God, that, that Jesus thought, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure I am, but, that, but what if I'm not? You know Satan had to mess with him about that regularly, and, and, and some of it is just Satan's trying to, to push him to use that. Well, if you're the son of God. Now, think about this. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. He's really hungry, he says that. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. That only, not only messes with you physically, that also messes with you a little bit um, emotionally and mentally. I have fasted for extended periods of time at different times of my life, never 40 days. I fast at least one week every single year and a full week, just water, um, but a, a few times in my life, probably five or six, I fasted like two weeks. That's the longest I've ever gone. Um, there's a couple of interesting things that happens. One is after the first two or three days, you're not hungry the same way you were. Okay? Your body actually kind of switches into neutral. And you're not, I've literally gone into an all-you-can-eat Mexican buffet and sat and watched my wife eat and not eaten one bite. Because your body gets to a point. Now, if you take... One bite, you will eat your arm. You'll just keep, keep going, just like that. Because then your body kicks in, and you're like, food, again. Because, you know, your body assumes you cut your head off or something. But, but this idea is something that happens you don't realize is you begin to, uh, you're, you think different, and you begin to uh, see a little different around you. I don't know exactly how to describe this. Um, Things seem to be clearer, but also you're, you're very limited and you're, you're like very focused in your thinking. So you're not thinking about a lot of stuff. The reason I'm saying that, it, well, and I think there's a spiritual thing. I think God's trying to clean your mind out as well as your, as your uh, spirit and your body and everything else. I, I read something years ago that said if you will fast at least one 
full seven-day time frame a year, the chances of you getting things like the flu and colds and things like that go down astronomically to the point where you're almost immune to that kind of stuff because your body cleans itself out completely. Okay? Now, with this, he says, Are you, if you're the son of God, prove it. Right? That's what he's saying. If you're the son of God, prove it. So, so I, maybe there's a little bit of part of it that Satan was trying to goad him. Right, guys, I think guys are more susceptible to this than girls. Right? If um, I knew, I knew when, when me and my brother were growing up, when we were young, I, I could get him to, to do just about anything if I double-dog dared him. Sometimes, you could, I, sometimes I could dare him, but that wouldn't always get it done. Sometimes you had to double-dog dare. And at that point, he was like, all right, I'll jump off that bridge. You know, that kind of thing. Um, there's something about guys that we just have that, right? Oh, I bet you can't do it. Oh, I'll show you I can do it, that kind of thing. And I think Satan is just trying to push him in any way that he can, but it has to directly, to directly deal with him, his, his, um, the, his, his uh, divinity. Well, then he says, tell, uh, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, you know how this works for you. You know how your brain works. I know how my brain works. If you're really, really hungry and somebody says the word bread, you can almost smell it, right? All of a sudden, that becomes a thing. Now, now here's, a, here's a reality. You understand this works in all temptation across the board. The moment that you, you are, you're, you're thinking you need to do this or be a part of this or Satan is tempting this with it, and all of a sudden, your brain will begin to connect and come up with ideas of why this is good or understandings of how um, it would be beneficial or, boy, you couldn't live without that or whatever the case is. And, and when you couple this with addiction, man, it becomes very, very strong. I, I've, I've, I have sat many, many times over the years with alcoholics that are, that are um, not drinking, and they've been, you know, sober for an amount of time or whatever. And, 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 you, and they'll start talking about the addiction, and you can watch them. They can, they're, they're tasting it. You understand what I'm saying? Some of you know. You've been there. And you'll talk to them about it, and all of a sudden they're going, because they can taste that drink. Guys, that's a, that's a real physiological thing. But it's also a spiritual thing. And Satan was trying to play Jesus like this. He knew he was really hungry. Hey, when, when you've been fasting for 40 days, how is Satan going to pick on you? With food. That's how he's going to pick on you. And this is the way it works with any temptation in our life. Satan knows how people are weak. Now, this is very important. He cannot, please know this, I did not believe this for a long time. Satan cannot read your mind. He is not omniscient. God is omniscient. Satan is not. This is important for a long time. When I was a kid growing up, teenager, I thought Satan could read my mind. So basically, I'm completely powerless against him. Because there's nothing, if, if he can read your mind, and because then I also thought he was kind of more like God, like he was also um, omnipotent. And so he's all-powerful, so not only can he read my mind, but he's also all-powerful. He's not these things. Satan is limited. Satan is limited to time and space in, in reference to, in, um, 
In reference to God, Satan is more like us when it comes to limited and time to space. He, he is not us. He's still a spiritually created being and a spiritual being. But he is limited like we are, and God is not. And we see this all through Scripture where Satan is limited. He is limited to a place, a, a, a moment, and a place in time in a way that God is not. Satan cannot read your mind. He's not all-powerful. He, he, he's not all-knowing kind of thing. He's not all-present. He's limited. And that's important when you're trying to process temptation because he's not as powerful as you think he is. And, and his temptation is not as powerful as it feels sometimes. Sometimes it's almost overwhelming how, how much we've, we need that at that moment. We need to do that, or we've got to say that. Or, and it's almost like we can't say no, but you can say no. The same way Jesus said no. He was led by the Holy Spirit. He was walking in the power of the Spirit. And that's how you and I do this. So he says, turn these... Stones into loaves of bread. You know, you know immediately Jesus could smell bread. And thinking, I don't know if they had butter, but you know there's nothing better than fresh bread out of the, the oven with butter, right? Hmm. So, you know something else that happens interestingly with temptation is the moment you start to give in, and I'm saying not actually doing something, but your mind and your spirit begin to like turn that direction, it becomes more difficult to say no. Immediately, the challenge gets worse. And pretty soon, once you begin to do that or give in to that temptation, it's amazing how you even stop feeling as guilty for it very quickly. Let me give you a real life example. I'm on a diet. Been doing pretty good. Every now and then, not good. Been doing pretty good. I, I want it when I, by the time I get to Denver, I want to represent the people as a skinny man. So I'm on a diet. And uh, this morning, Bob brings all these donuts in. And you can smell, you know, donuts are one of my favorite things, too, by the way. And then he opens the box of jelly filled, and I was like, oh, you know, I, I love donuts. I love, I love donuts. So I'm standing there, and, I, and he says, you need to get donuts. I was like, I'm not, Bob, I'm going to die. I'm not going to do this. I can, I can say no to a donut. What kind of man am I if I can't say no to a donut? I said, I'll just take one donut hole. <laughs> right? Because how bad is that? But I stood there for like five minutes. I'd go back to my office. I'd come back out and stare at the donut. Go back in my office. Finally, I ate the donut hole. Five or six donut holes later, I was not even feeling guilty about the donut holes anymore. <laughs> in fact, the only reason I was still feeling bad about eating the donut holes is because some of you are going to tell my wife that I ate a donut hole and I'm going to be in trouble. And that's the only reason I felt bad. It was only because I'm scared of Linda. So I only ate like four or five more after that, and then I was done. But it's amazing how easily you can give in, and then all of a sudden, something here changes, something here changes, and becomes easier, quickly, easier, quickly, easier, and, and you're changing because you're going a different direction. Let me, let me help you out with something about Satan tempting us in sin. 
Do you know Satan does not care that much whether he act, what, what sin he actually gets you to do? Satan's not concerned that much about that. What he's concerned about is you turning your heart against God and going that direction. Because then he's won. He wins the battle when you turn your heart against God's word and his holiness and you start pursuing whatever it is. It's not God's desire to make everybody in America adulterers. He, he, he couldn't care less. That's not important. But he, what he wants you to do is have a heart that says, I can do that. I don't care what God thinks. That's where he's trying to get you to. Just turn your heart against God and he's one. Do you think God, that, that, that Satan really wanted Adam and Eve to eat that fruit? The fruit wasn't the point. That's why we don't actually know what the fruit was. Because then nobody would eat that fruit anymore. Right? We, we do that. We take spiritual things and we limit them to physical concepts. Satan wasn't concerned with they ate the fruit. Satan was concerned that they believed that God's plan was not the option. Satan's plan was. That if you'll choose Satan's option, that's really better. And the moment they began to turn that direction, Satan already had them. And it wasn't eating that fruit. That's just what closed the deal. It's that he began to go that direction. She began to go that direction. Satan wants you to... I'll give you a big one that's going on right now in the evangelical church world. So we use Right Now Media... This is not a slam against Right Now Media. We believe in it. If you don't know what Right Now Media is, you have complete access to it. Our church has a subscription so that every one of you can get on Right Now Media, and there's all kinds of videos, teachings, children's um, programs. There's all kinds of stuff out there, videos, anything you can imagine that has to do with, with uh, discipleship and, and family devotions, anything you can imagine, marriage devotions, anything. And you get, you get it free because you're part of the church. We'll give you that information um, if you want it. Some of the teaching, there's two different teachings that I've seen on right now, media, that this is the, this is the new mindset within the evangelical church world. Okay, this is, this is being taught and preached in churches. And these are, these are very successful churches, and these are very successful ministers, pastors, book writers, and stuff like that that are teaching this. Basically what they're saying is, that, um, that homosexuality is only a sin if you follow through with a physical sexual act. That, and this is, this is the way it's going. There's a, there's a major large church in our city right now that believes this and teaches this. Okay, That maybe, just maybe, you were actually created by God as a homosexual. But as long as you don't act on it, it's not a sin. That's the, that is the teaching. Now, there's a bunch of problems with that. One is when you go to Romans 1 and you look at this, I've, I've talked about this so many times, there is levels of getting away from God you go through to get to the point where you are turned over to your own sinful thinking and then homosexuality is at that stage. It's a, it's a graduating thing of sin. It's not a, homosexuality is not a first step sin. Things like lying are first step sins. Those are gateway sins. But 
homosexuality, you've got to get to a place spiritually debased enough that you actually um, think and process in the mindset of homosexuality. Now, why is that a big deal? Because the church is so scared to death to actually help somebody know truth and to get out of something that is destroying their soul because they want people to come to their church. They're scared to death to do that, that they're hurting people spiritually. They are, they are complicit because they're more interested. We want you to like our church, even if that means you don't get relationship with God. We want you to like our preaching, teaching, buy our books, do our seminars, even if that means you don't get relationship with God because we're actually misleading you in the process. Guys, that's not truth, and that's definitely not loving people. You love people to Christ out of sin, not loving them so that they stay in their sin. That's not real love. That's narcissism. That's selfishness. That's, that's church bureaucratic selfishness that's, that's not telling people the truth. And this is, this is harmful. Here's the reality of the way that Satan tries to do this to us is he tries to convince you that, that you really need, whatever this, you really need it and you can't go without it. But it's not true. What does Jesus say? Jesus tells Satan, no. Because that's, that's really where it starts. Tell Satan, no. See, but sometimes it's so powerful. Well, the next thing he says is the scriptures say. So you need God's word to back up your no. You need God's truth. And you need the Holy Spirit to back up your no. But you can say no to Satan. You do not have to give in to what he is trying to get you to do. But sometimes you're going to have to fight greatly against your, your community, your culture, your, your, the, the, your family. You're going to have to fight against things sometimes because everything else is saying you should do this. But, but when you serve God, you, you do what he says. Not what those around you say. He says, the scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Now, he doesn't say you don't live by bread at all. You do live by bread and butter, but you don't live by that alone. Right? You understand that. You, have to, you, you live by the word of God. What he's trying to explain is that the word of God is as important. There is a priority in the word of God that is as or more important than even eating. That that's, that doesn't rate as high as God's word in your life. So Deuteronomy chapter 8. This is where Jesus is quoting. So I'm going to go to this. And I'm going to read a little bit of this here because there's just a lot of good stuff that, that he goes through here. And this is Old Testament. This is pre-cross, but it's all, it, it's, it's solid, solid biblical post-cross teaching stuff. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 1. She's be careful to obey all the commands I'm giving you today. If God's word says it, going, going back to the homosexual thing, it's, it's interesting how many people regularly I talk to that say, well, that's not actually mentioned in the Bible. Homosexuality is not mentioned in the Bible. You can go to websites that say that. Homosexuality is not mentioned in the Bible. I, all right. Then you will live and multiply. You will enter and occupy the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors. Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness for these 40 years. Now, he's not talking. This generation is not the generation that this, is, this has happened to. It's, this is getting later. But when Jesus says that, he's talking to us too. When God says this in his word, he's talking to us. Our ancestors were led out of the wilderness. 
You can own that as part of your Christian heritage. Your ancestors were, were led out of the wilderness. This is why sometimes I talk about um, Catholicism, and I'll talk about that that is our roots, and that is, that is where we came from. And, man, some Christians get really mad about that. We're not Catholic. They changed everything and got away from it. They started out as the New Testament church. The New Testament church became what is the Catholic church. But the reason that we are different now is because it has been reformed over time. But that was still the church. That's the history of, our, that's the history of who we are. Now, why is that important? I don't, I don't think it's healthy for Christians just to go, oh, well, that's not, that's not who we are. We, we're not Catholics. The, if you don't understand history, you're doomed to repeat it. Our history has a lot of reformation in it because as human beings, we really break this thing every time we get a chance. We really twist it. We really make it about us. We really make it about money. We really make all this other stuff. And, and God is saying, no, this is who I want you to be. So what do we have to do? When, when that closes in and becomes um, something that it's not supposed to be, there's supposed to be reformation. The church in America right now needs a major reformation. A major, major reformation. That doesn't mean the church is, com is completely wrong or bad in America. The body of Christ is still the body of Christ. The problem is churches change that and become something else, and they need to be reformed and brought back to what? The body of Christ. The, the truth of God's word, the understanding of that. And that's going to constantly be happening, constantly. We're never going to get away from that. That's why when people say, well, I don't like denominations. Denominations are the path of reformation over the years. Most of them. Pay attention to them. Study them. You'll know why they came into existence. And most of the time it was for good reasons. I'm not, I'm not pro-denomination, but I'm not anti-denomination. The biggest thing is, is we're constantly saying, okay, God, what are you doing? Do it in me. Do it right here in me. So you came through the wilderness, humbling you and testing you to prove your character, and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands. And God is still doing that today. He wants to know if you'll obey him. And sometimes he puts you in situations to see if you'll obey him. And sometimes he lets Satan mess with you and tempt you in things to see if you'll obey him. Because he wants to know. You say, well, he knows everything. Yeah, that's why he's letting that happen, because he knows everything. Now, here's the important part. He knows you can do it. You're talking about God knowing everything. See, I don't believe in a predestination idea. God knows you can say no to sin. God knows you can rise to the occasion. Every single time, 100% of the time, you can rise to the occasion. But you don't always. Does God know that? Yes. But he knows you can. And that's what he's striving for with you. There's a difference between his, his omniscience and that somehow being um, predestined. That's where free will comes in. He wants you to rise to the occasion. He's going to give you the opportunity to do it. Guys, do it. Say no to sin. Step up when you need to step up. All these different things. Because he wants to know what you're made of. Yes, he humbled you by letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna, a food previously unknown to you and your ancestors. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. For all these 40 years, you, your clothes didn't wear out and your feet didn't blister or swell. Think about it. This is an important thing here, too. You hear me talk about this every now and then. This is important, guys. God will bless you. And when you walk with God, God will take care of you in ways he does not take care of everybody else. 
This is so profound through Scripture. But he says, if you will, then I will. And if you will obey the if you will, then the I will will always happen 100% of the time. Always happen. If you will, then I'll heal your land. If you will, then I'll bless you. If you will, I'll take care of you. All these other things. And, and here's where, as Christians, now I, I am not of the hyper-faith mentality. That's not what I'm saying. Because I don't believe that if you will, God will give you a, a, a Lamborghini. You know, I don't think that's what Scripture says, okay? He's not going to make you independently wealthy, but he will always take care of you, always provide for you, and your life will not look like everybody else's life because you are doing what God has said. But here's where the church has been complicit in this for too long is, we, is that the church is not preaching the truth about sin and not dealing with it. And, so, and, and also complicit in the idea of walking right up to the line of sin and kind of playing games with this, this sin mentality in the church. Um, and what happens is, is it, let's say you are on the side of Jesus at the line, but you're on the side of Jesus. If you trip, you're falling over the line. We do this in the church. We try to get as close to sin as we can, and I can walk right here, and it's not going to mean anything. First, if you believe that you're walking right on the line of sin, Satan's pretty deceptive and pretty manipulative. There's a good chance the line's back there, but he makes you think it's here, and it's back there. This is, I just talked to a friend of mine in Texas. <clears throat> he, he, um, I talked to him about six months ago, and he was going to come to Colorado, and I told him some places to go. And um, I told him, one of the cool places you want to go is you want to go to the Royal Gorge. He's like, okay. So I just saw him uh, last week when I was in Texas, and, and he said, man, we did it. We did all these things. And I told him, he said, we did this. You told us to go. I told him to go to Uray. You need to spend a day in Uray. You know, you got to see that. And he's like, man, that is amazing. You, you were like the great tour guide, all this stuff. He said, but I forgot to tell you, I am horrified of heights. <laughs> I was like, oh. So how did the Royal Gorge go? He said he got halfway out and couldn't move. So he got down on his hands and knees on the bridge, and his wife's going, you know, and got down on his hands and knees, and he said, I could see through the slats. He said, it's like 2,500 feet drop under the Royal Gorge. I'm like, yeah, and the slat is that wide. The opening is that wide. You know how wide you are? More than that. You're not going to fall through. He said, I couldn't convince myself of that at that moment. Here's the deal with being afraid. Who's afraid of heights? You know, it's a real thing, right? I, I'm not scared of heights, but I do understand. I'm scared of some things. I'm not telling you what they are. But I, I, I understand that's a real thing. Well, here's what happens when you see somebody that's scared of heights. If this is the edge, they're over here. Right? Because even though I've had this in, in cars, I had a good friend of mine um, years ago come up and we took him up Mount Evans and all this stuff. I didn't know he was that scared of heights. I'd known him since college. But I'm driving and the, and the longer we go up, pretty soon he is sitting in my seat. He's like way over there, you know, like, the, and I'm trying to drive and, he's, and, he, and he keeps looking. And I, I told him, I said, do you, do we need to stop and you get on the other side, just like walk? And he thought about it for a while. He's like, no, I can probably do this. He thought about getting out and walking because there is a drop-off on the side of the mountain. But here's the thing that you, you can't see is I've driven on many roads and never run off the side. But, but when that edge is there, so what is the right thing to do? 
You don't want to accidentally stumble and fall off the cliff. So you walk over there. But guys, we don't do that well in the church world. We try to walk as close to the edge of sin and as close to the edge of all the stuff as we can. And God is saying, but if you just come over here where I am, I'll take care of you. I'll bless you. I'll do all this other kind of stuff. And God does. If you will just do what he says, your life will look different. Here, I, we were joking about this one time. We were watching Cops. This is when Cops first came out 20 years ago. And uh, we saw one of Linda's relatives on, uh, on the uh, show. I was like, is that? She's like, you know. But uh, here's the thing. The reason that dude was on Cops is because that's his life. He's living there. He's living there. He's not living over here where you don't have to deal with that. I don't have to worry about when, when the police pull me over that I've got outstanding warrants or anything else. I'm just going to pay my $700 ticket and I'm going to go on about my life. But I'm not worried about all that other stuff. I don't have drugs in the car. I don't have all of this stuff. You guys know what I'm saying? I don't, I don't ever have to worry about waking up with a hangover, ever. Never, ever going to happen. It's not where I'm walking. I don't have to worry about that stuff. I, I just had this the other day. Um, this, this lobbyist called me and said, hey, can, can we meet? I, I meet so many lobbyists nowadays. I am so popular with lobbyists. But they have to. It's part of their job. And they do good work, actually. A lot of them do. And so I met, but I, Linda was busy that day, so I called Emily. She was up at the church. It was a few weeks ago. She was up at the church, and I said, I need you to go to coffee with me. She said, why? And I said, because I'm meeting this lady. So, but I don't meet with women by myself. I don't meet with any woman by myself, ever. Doesn't happen. I, you know, everybody picked on Pence for saying that, right? That's the smartest thing he ever said. Guys, if, if there's any possible way that you cannot meet with a woman alone, don't meet with her alone. So I'm not just going to fall into sin. That's not why I don't meet with women alone. I don't even know what she looked like before I got there. That's not the point. The point is, if this is the line, I'm just going to walk over here. I don't, I, don't, I don't know where all that stuff is going to happen or what. But if I'm walking over here, it doesn't matter. I'm walking over here. Right, okay, I'm belaboring that. So obey the commands of the Lord your God by walking his ways and fearing him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land of flowing streams and pools of water with fountains and springs that gush out in the valleys and hills. It is a land of wheat and barley and grapes, fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil and honey. It is a land where food is plentiful. Nothing is lacking. It's a land where iron is as common as stone and copper is as abundant as in the hills. Guys, you will have a different life if you will serve God. Not a little. Serve him. All in with God. And God will take care of you. He will bless you. He'll take care of your finances. If you give them to him, if you don't give your finances to him, he's not going to take care of your finances. You keep that off to the side, he's going to let you do that. Which, by the way, I've always seen that as dumb. Because God is the creator of everything. He's God over all the world. He's God over everything. But you're smarter than him financially? Think about that. 
He says, when you have eaten your fill, be sure to praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. Now, here's where it gets important. But this is the time to be careful. Beware that in your plenty, you do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations, and decrees that I'm giving you today. Guys, how, we know what that is. The more blessed you get, the more prosperous you get, the easier it is to find other things to do besides serve God. You have the ability more. I had a, years ago, I was a youth pastor, and a pastor I was working for, he said this. It caught me off guard. It was harsh, but, but, but it has always stuck with me. He said, you know, God has really been blessing you some, around, uh, some of you around here. And he said, you got enough money to go buy boats and RVs and everything else, and all those things are keeping you away from going to church. I'd never thought about it. I couldn't afford an RV. I still don't want one. But I, I, I never thought about that. You can get to a point where you have enough that a lot of stuff begin to happen. One is you're not dependent upon God as much anymore. You have more. You don't have to pray for every single meal, every single day, every single, um, I need this today, I need this today. You have the ability to do what you want. You know, when you have the money to go out of town every single weekend and go on a little mini vacation every single weekend, somewhere along the way, I, I always try to teach this to my kids. Don't ever get to a point where being with the body of Christ is no longer important to you. Not just because you're not with them, but because something has changed in here. I'm saying go to church. Don't, don't get to the point where going to church is no longer a big thing to you. That's dangerous. Something is switched in your mind and in your spirit for that to happen. You don't want to get to that place. For when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from the rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Guys, that is, that is the disease that plagues American thinking. I did this. I did this. If you've got the brains to go to work, it's because God gave you those brains. You did not create your brains. If you've got the physical competency to go to work, it's because God gave you that physical competency. You didn't make you. Even where you're born, what time in history, all that, you're not choosing any of that stuff. God gives you that stuff. He gives you the ability to accomplish stuff. And you say, well, it's because I worked hard. Yes, and he expects that. But don't assume that's because it came from you. You didn't achieve that. God gave you that. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But I assure you of this. And this, this is the same God that just said all the other stuff. I blessed you. I brought you in the land of... Prosperity, all this other stuff. We, we leave this part out. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. See, he's not only the giver, he's still justice, he is still righteousness, and he is still the judge. He's still in charge, and he's God. 
Just as the Lord has destroyed other nations in your path, you will also be destroyed if you refuse to obey the Lord your God. Why don't you stand with me? Three things. Number one, obey God's word. Number two, God will take care of you and bless you if you obey him. He will. Number three, and this this is vital, don't confuse the blessing with the point. The blessing is not the focus. It's God's presence. It's him. But he blesses you along the way. We're going to take communion in just a minute, and as we do this, to be thinking about, I really do believe the greatest gift. And I, I think we know this. We just don't always live this way. Does, does anybody need communion? Raise your hand. Rick will wander around there. And Mary. Um, here's what happens is um, we, we, we kind of start taking certain things for granted, even something like the blood of Jesus. The scripture I'm going to read here in just a minute as we take communion the end of it, he says um, that, that when, every time you do this, you are declaring that he shed his blood until he comes back. You're declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ until he returns. Why? Because this is real to us. Guys, I believe it's the most important thing. The blood of Jesus is the most important thing. Relationship with Jesus is the most important thing. It's more important than any job or any money or any situation or relationship or anything. It is Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how when we get that in balance, everything else starts to to play out the way it's supposed to. Temptation loses its teeth oftentimes. Relationships start to work out the way they're supposed to. Because why? Jesus, I'm all in with you. I'm all in with you. I'm all in. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Jesus, you're the king, and I am not. Lord, you're the ruler, and I'm not. You're the judge, and I'm not. You're the everything, and I'm just your servant. Jesus, you came to this earth specifically to die so that we could have your blood could be covered with your blood. And Jesus, I believe the more we walk in you, the less temptation has power over us. The less we give in to sin, the less sin begins to have power over us. Lord, get that into our spirit right now. That we belong to you we can say no to sin. That Satan knows our weaknesses, but Jesus, you are greater in me than Satan is in the world. You are my strength. Even though Satan knows my weaknesses, you are my strength. So Lord, we just submit our lives to you. We submit our existence to you. God, and I pray for people that are dealing with right in this room, that are dealing with certain temptations right now that's kind of creeping up on them. Some it's strong. Some have already given in. Jesus, you are the forgiver. You are the power that can set us free from this stuff.
Lord, we ask you to wash us clean, forgive us, help us to stand against the the temptation, to say no to sin. Lord, for people that are struggling with different temptations, God, bring your power, your presence, your Holy Spirit, and the truth and the reality that Satan is just trying to attack us and that we don't have to be involved. We don't have to give in. That I'm saying no to Satan first. I'm saying no to sin in a general sense first. Because God, you're big. You've rescued us. You've delivered us. You've provided for us. You've covered us. You've protected us. Lord, we respond by saying no to sin. You're amazing, God. night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Think about Jesus sitting there and these disciples sitting around, 18, 19, 20 year old kids. Don't you think somewhere in his head he was wondering, are they really going to be able to do this? Are they going to be able to handle this? I believe that's why he takes this moment. It's Passover. We call it Lord's Supper or Communion or what. It was Passover, and he takes this moment during Passover. He says, guys, the whole point of this has led us to right now. The whole reason for Passover is right now. I'm about to go to the cross, and this is going to be you now. And I, and I think he knew they could do it more than they knew they could do it. And he looks at him, and he breaks the bread, and he says, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. God, we thank you. We thank you for allowing your body to be torn, broken, brutalized, so that we could be physically healed. God, you are so big, so amazing. Lord, you you had the whole plan all wrapped up together. Jesus, I believe when you look at us right now, you have confidence that we can do this. We can do this. Lord, thank you for your broken body. In Jesus' name. Let's take the bread together. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you did not have to do this. You did this because you love us. We're amazed by this. Lord, we thank you for your blood. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for the the amazingness that your blood accomplished so much more than I think we even know. Brings us into relationship with God. Covers us, protects us, cleanses us. Lord, we thank you for your blood. So I ask you to forgive me right now of anything, Lord. Anything that you need to forgive me of. Cover me with your blood. Cover me with your blood, Jesus. Thank you for that access to God the Father, that relationship rebuilt by your blood. Thank you for this. In the name of Jesus. Let's take the drink together.
Lord, we're amazed by you. We're amazed by your grace, your mercy. We're amazed by your love. We're awed by your power, your justice, and your righteousness. didn't realize before we go I do want to introduce you to uh, my friend Emmanuel he is um, from Africa and he is part of Joshua Nations and a great man of God great pastor in Africa he's with Vili this morning uh, with Joshua Nations you definitely want to say hello to him um, before he, he leaves out of here but he, he was brought to America to speak some things some of the banquets and stuff like that and I've had an opportunity just to get to know him um, that thing I talk about every now and then on Wednesday mornings that is pastors all over the world, he's, he's one of these pastors that I get to interact with. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can. Tell somebody about Jesus, and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. Shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here, and we will see you Wednesday night.